Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. All right, folks. Welcome back to the latest Mountain Westwire football podcast. Uh, MWR.com is the website. If you're, again, if you don't check us out there, please do so. We have... um, uh, Matt, the bev- a bevy of articles say about San Diego State, UNLV, winners and losers, five words or less, or I guess five words, and lots of other stuff. Uh, so I, I, I recommend go check it out. That's in addition to our previous recast because we don't discuss everything on the website, on the podcast, or vice versa. So you got to take it all in. All it's of true. It. We've, got a lot, we've got a lot going on. We do. So let's get to it. We had a handful of games, not as many as typically. Typical, I guess, is the right way to put it, due to conference play getting get going. But we're just going to dive into it. We have to go way back to Thursday, where our good old buddies, Utah State and BYU, were playing for the Wagon Wheel for probably um, the last time for the foreseeable future, Matt, which is not good. Hate it when it mm-hmm. happens. Because we have rivalries go away. You have this one. We've had other rivalries. Uh, most recently, like big picture, Oklahoma's like given the stiff arm to Oklahoma State. Get rid of Bedlam, which is kind of a shame too. But Utah State showed signs of life and actually played pretty well against BYU, falling short 38-26, not nearly as close as it could have been due to multiple missed field goals by BYU and a late touchdown by Utah State. Nonetheless, I felt it was still a pretty solid performance overall. No, yeah, absolutely. Um I mean, you consider they were within 24 to 20 with about 10 minutes to go left in the third quarter. And then things just, you know, didn't break their way late. But, you know, there was a lot, I think there was a lot that they built off upon from, from the week before against UNLV. I think, you know, the, the problem with the Aggies, such as it is, is like, I, I, I think I said more clearly, and I think I'm more confident about it now that this isn't a bad team in the same way that other teams have underperformed. Like, you know, talent was never really the issue with this roster. We were just waiting for them to, you know, put it all together and in at least some semblance of the way that we saw them down do down the stretch last year. Problem was, like, you know, we we've seen them start to approach that. But the problem last week against the Rebels and in this game against the Cougars is like they still didn't get all the way there. Exactly. You know, they, they, you know, they they had a handful of big plays. You know, they were definitely better on on third downs. They were, but again, they were still only you know six of seventeen. And and outside of you know third and short situations where they were four of eight, you know, anytime you know Cooper Lagan and the rest of that offense got behind the hate ball, I guess you might say. They just weren't that effective. And, you know, how many penalties did they have in this game, too? They had, like, what, another eight penalties, if I'm not mistaken? Um, they did eight for amount. 68. Yeah, not good. Yeah, also- and then – oh, no, I'm just going to mention the turnovers, too. Mm-hmm. So, all in all, like, you know, they, like they still did a lot of things well. Like, in terms of total offense, if you just look at the raw numbers, you know, that Utah State and BYU were basically even in this game. You know, they they outperformed the Cougars on a, on a per play basis on the ground, 4.2 to 3.7. You know, they were, you know, they did punch, you know, or at least get points four out of five trips into the red zone, which is an improvement. 
Yeah. But yeah, too, too many penalties, too many turnovers, three to be exact. And, you know, that was more or less the game right there. It's just, you know, the a story of missed opportunities. It should be noted the worst kept secret in the world was Cooper Legault getting the starting nod over um, Logan Bonner, who broke his foot in the UNLV game. So, and he played fine. He played well. He moved them around a little bit. He kept 52 yards on the ground, that touchdown run. Too many carries for my like. He had the most of the day. And his passing, two picks, clearly not good. Two touchdowns, good. But they just kind of, this is almost similar to the BYU Wyoming game where that third quarter, well, let me back up. First quarter, BYU start off a bit slower. You saved the Wyoming Utah State, pretty close game through the first half, tied at halftime this game. And then BYU comes out and think, makes some adjustments, do a few things, and Utah State only gets a field goal and is outscored by 11 points in that third quarter. And that kind of did it, did it the game for them. That kind of kind of ended it at the point of this matchup. But like overall, the Gallic fine, but it's is this is it too is this too much to say that this was their best game all year despite losing by 12 points for Utah State that they played the best overall, relatively speaking, to what they've gone through. Given the level of competition, absolutely. Yeah, it's really pretty good team. Because, it, it, and it, because game, I think if you want to compare it to the UConn game in week zero, I think that's probably the closest comparison, but I don't think – well, actually, I should take that back. <laughs> um, you know, UConn later. might be on to something. Uh, we'll talk more about the Huskies a little bit later. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, yeah, you could say this was the best overall performance given that BYU is like a top 25 caliber team. But, you know, that's sort of, I mean, I hate to say it, it is sort of damning with faint praise just because, you know, you say it's the best game of the year and it was probably like a B minus all the way around. Yeah, maybe that. Like they had interception return. Um, They had a pick six, right? Was that uh, early on? Yeah, BYU had a pick six in the first bit, Mm -hmm. first quarter, first half. But they fumbled the ball. They had turnovers. That doesn't help. And BYU scored, I guess, seven points. What do they have? uh, Ten points off turnovers? No, only seven. I think it was only six. Oh, did they missed the extra point. They oh, must have, fine. yeah. Fine, technically, no, they made, no, they made the extra point. Okay, I must be. I'm, this must be. Uh, must be, must be a misprint on staff. Yeah, because Max truly had the pick six, and then maybe six points technically. I don't know. That's weird, but yeah, they had to pick six in the first quarter with the Max Tooley touchdown. They had, also threw a shoe, had weird penalties. That was kind of an awkward scenario. <laughs> he like chucked a shoe, but the Utah State. This, most of the second half because. BYU comes out like, all right, we make adjustments, we score. And Utah State, again, not the box score, box score, but returned the field goal, touchdown, throughout scored a little bit, and they never got back in the end zone until the game was basically over. Utah, or excuse me, and BYU kind of let up on the gas to where mm-hmm. it made it look pretty close. Because I know BYU missed a couple of field goals, 33 and 35-yarder, which could have made a bigger difference, obviously. They had that one touchdown to go up 38-20, game was over. And then they get the interception, missed field goal score. But the turnovers are not good. Running game with Calvin Tyler looked pretty good. Had 104 yards on 18 carries. BYU's running attack. I know Chris Brooks came on strong in the second half. But then again, like I know BYU's played. They played Wyoming. They played um, They played. They played Boise State down the road. It will be interesting. BYU is a team where they're not. Utah State's rush defense did fine. Like Chris Brooks had one huge play. And he's, he, he might be the guy for them, but I just don't – I'm not – my buddies I work with, like, oh, he's great. I'm like, I don't buy Chris Brooks being elite running back, probably because he came from Cal, like we've mentioned multiple times of who they're playing with in Mountain West. Like, he's a Cal guy. But the reason they lost part of it, Jaron Hall's a really good quarterback. He wasn't as efficient as he was versus Wyoming, but he had still had three touchdowns. Gunnar Romney returned, almost had a touchdown, had, had multiple deep play threats, which also is a concern mm-hmm. for against Utah State, like going downfield. The co- like, who the heck is, like, even me, I'm like, Braden Cosper, who's this guy? I'm like, oh, well, he had three catches for 56 yards, that big 40-yarder. Cody Epps showed up again. Keanu Hill had another big touchdown, who we've heard versus Wyoming and Utah State this this game. Um, one thing, too, Alfred Edwards didn't play in the offensive line for Utah State, which was a concern, which obviously he's one of the best guys out there. And, BYU got to the QB a bit, two sacks, five TFLs, nothing amazing, but they're still causing pressure because all 19 of those runs for Cooper Legault weren't obviously weren't all designed runs. He was under pressure quite a bit throughout the night. QB hurries technically were only three, but I think that seemed more than that. Um, Utah State's front defense did find five TFLs, but there's just miss. They're not. They're just missing a little bit here and there, 
And part of it, like you said, Matt, discipline on penalties. That's a concern. And even though BYU had more penalties, how many offsides did BYU have in this game? 10 for 82 yards total? Like, Blake Anderson had the uh, unsportsmanlike conduct, yapping at the ref, who I do not want to mess with, who has, like, bullying, bullying balls for all biceps. Sheesh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that guy, let me ask you this. Maybe this is a rule thing I'm not sure of. So, you know that illegal touching they had for Utah State? Yeah. Where So – why would that – maybe I'm wrong. We don't know the, why is that a penalty? Because – was it because he was the first guy to touch it? But wasn't he also out of bounds again when he touched it in the end zone? Because he went I out of bounds. I thought it was – no, I think he was called a penalty because he went out of bounds at about – you're talking about Justin McGriff, right? Yeah, he went out of bounds on his own. He wasn't pushed out. He kind of – Yeah, it, so, so my understanding, so like, he went out. But, like, I think he got a foot down in the end zone. So, like, if he hadn't gone out of bounds, it probably would have been a touchdown. But they called it incomplete pass, so that's my problem. That's the thing I'm wondering about. They called it incomplete. Yeah, I'm not. I mean, I'm not totally sure. Of the, I'm the just curious about that it. particular rule. Yeah, not that it'd make a difference, but I was like, I was curious your thoughts. So I was talking to Dan, like, what was that like? Because if it's incomplete pass, he technically doesn't touch the ball, right? Because it's not a, I don't know. But I think overall, it's the penalties hurt them quite a bit. They were only six or 17 on third down, not great. And they just kind of stalled out in offense that third quarter. That's kind of the base. And BYU's defense stepped it up in that second half. But overall, yeah, I mean, I think it, signs of life to show improvement to why this team is clearly not out of anything in the Mountain Division. We'll see what Boise State will talk about them because they look pretty good. But that could be a one-game fluke or one-game scenario possibly. I think you know, one thing I've, I've been sort of continually disappointed by, if we're, if we're being totally honest, do it. they're getting a nearly enough out of their defensive line that they did last year. You know, you look. You, you mentioned the fact that the Aggies had two sacks and five TFLs in this game. I think it's telling that none of those came from anybody up front. You know, the two sacks came from Ike Larson, the you know typically plays safety, and MJ Tafisi, who has actually come on pretty strong in the last couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he had a very good game. Hunter Reynolds had a very good game. You know, he had a pass breakup and a TFL to go along with nine tackles. They've gotten some very good individual performances. But they just haven't they haven't been as productive, especially when it came to generating havoc. So like, you know, getting getting Definitely. making stops at or behind the line of scrimmage. You know, they they really peaked doing that late last year in late October and all throughout November. They haven't gotten that same level of production up front. And so I think if there's one potential hindrance to their ability to hang around in conference play. You know, that's one thing that I, if I were an Aggies fan, I'd be keeping my eye on. It's like, can they get more from the dudes in the trenches? Because, you know, for as, as much as Byron Vaughn's was able to sort of, you know, play it up on the road against BYU and sort of play the villain, mm-hmm. he did have a couple back, couple quarterback hurries. So he did get close a couple times. But they, but they need guys like him. They need guys like Daniel Grzeziak and others to really step up and, 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 uh, take on more of that load that 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 other guys like Nick Henninger and Marlon Moore really picked up last year. Yeah, Henninger was big in the title game last year versus San Diego State, like blocking passes down, getting hands up. Like A.J. Vongchapong back there, but he's a linebacker, not technically a down lineman up front. So, and even with like, here's the thing, too, like this game, had they had that, BYU's running game would have, be, would have been even less effective because they were just okay overall. So mm-hmm. it, there's good improvement to see what's going on. It's unfortunate it's a loss for them because they won't get to get the wagon wheel for who knows how long whenever these teams possibly play again. And it'll be interesting when they play Air Force next Saturday afternoon, early evening, of how they that defensive line is really going to have to earn its keep if they're going to keep pace with the Falcons. So that's something we'll get to uh, later this week. Exactly. Next game, Friday night. Oh, my goodness. These two games were a tale of two halves for each team. We'll start with Boise State, State Diego State, 35-13. Boise State wins the game after getting shut out in the first half and then scoring. Did they score? Oh, I, I could pull up the box score here, obviously, but they scored a minimum three straight touchdowns and three straight possessions in the second Four half. straight touchdowns. Four. Okay. That's why I was making sure the box score at ESPN is not. I need to go to a new site real quick to pull up the play by play, but they scored multiple TDs in a row. So I'm asking this. So we know t- Tim, um, Tim Plaza, the dirt cutter, and to be the OC. I'm thinking this could be a scenario where it's like, like I'm kind of joked before, a one-game wonder. Could this be a scenario where new quarterback comes in on Tuesday, essentially, or maybe Monday, who knows when they prepare, knowing Bachmar is out officially. 
new OC. They're on the hype. They're kind of adrenaline's going. New guy out there, new quarterbacks. They play two guys, new OC. Mm-hmm. They're out there, and then it might just kind of fall flat. Like I mentioned this a million times last year with UNLV, bringing in all the new quarterbacks. They play great for three quarters, play great for a half, replacing the guy on the fly. Then the next game, they fall flat and are kind of who they really are. I don't know who that Boise State team is, but I'm kind of wondering if that's a possibility going forward. I don't want to discredit the win because they've clearly figured something out in the second half on offense and on defense to show up the Aztecs. And partially, yes, injuries to the Aztecs quarterback will get to is a concern with Burmeister and Crum and then going down with um, who's this last guy, Leah Amavea playing out there. There's more to the story there, but they clearly did something better in the second half to cause those things to happen. Yeah, so here's the very important thing to keep in mind. Taylor Green did not have a particularly good game as a passer. No, he did not. Five of ten and a pick. And and I think it's t- and I think it's worth keeping in mind because you know he I think was only two of six in the first half. You know he had a, you know two he was t- you completed his first two passes through an interception and had a four straight incompletions before they gave way to Sam Bidlack. But when you really think about it. The Broncos must have seen enough of the Aztecs offense on tape to think that they wouldn't be in any danger of just <laughs> trying multiple things to figure out what works for them. Yeah, because Dirk Cutter, the guy, did all these plays they used to do in years past. It brought back some fun to the offense, too. Yeah, and so, you know, when you when you look at what you know, Sam Vidlak did when he came in, I think it was relatively early in the second quarter, and he played all the way up through halftime. I think the problem there was they just had zero explosiveness in their passing game. You know, Vidlak was nine of 12 for 86 yards, but 53 of that came on one play to Billy Bowens. Other than that, they were trying to nickel and dime their way down the field through a couple of drives and it just didn't really work out for them. You know, they had, you know, the, I think it was four plays, you know, 42 yards and then they had a three and out. And then, you know, right before halftime, six plays, 22 yards, didn't really get anywhere. You know, they didn't even get to midfield or anything like that. So, True. like, they had a few chances to move the ball a tiny bit in the first half. You know, they got to the San Diego State 39 on their first drive. And then, of course, green through the interception. Yep. They got to they got to midfield later in the second quarter. They got past it on two consecutive drives, and it just didn't go anywhere. And, you know, it was to the defense's credit that, you know, they were able to really hang around in this game. Because you talk about a tale of two halves, and I think you really cannot talk about this game without talking about how Broncos defense really buckled down, especially on San Diego State's first two drives, which were basically the only times that the Aztecs moved the ball all game long. You mean the second half? No, in the first half. Oh, sorry, first. Oh, okay, gotcha. I was making sure. Yeah, because they they took over after the Taylor Green interception at the Boise State 29-yard line, got down to the four, and you thought to yourself, okay, well, are they going to try and roll the dice on the road, or are they going to play it safe? Play it safe. And, yeah, of course they played it safe. It's pretty hope. Come on. What do you expect? <laughs> and then and then the, the following drive, they took over right around midfield. They took over at their own 46, got, like, the one big pass play they got all game long, the 26-yard throw to Jesse Matthews. Two completions all game, FYI. Yeah. Um. You know, so they so they got down within the Boise State ten yard line again. They got to the eight. You know, drive stalled. And they had to kick a field goal. No, no. You wait. You, was, you said you said they had to kick a field goal. They had a choice here. They chose to kick a field goal. They didn't have to. I mean, four, fourth and eight is a little more understandable, especially when you especially when you are aware of your limitations on offense. But you know, the problem for them was like they didn't. They got across midfield exactly one time the rest of the game, and that was only to the Boise State forty seven. And we'll see if Jeff Linsky being fired makes a difference. I'm going to say I probably not. <laughs> well, I, and I, what I but I say that to say that the defense, the Boise State defense, did a very good job, basically from the jump in this game. So, like oh, you see, definitely. like you see a 13 nothing halftime deficit, and you think, oh my god, a lot is going wrong. Um, you know, if, if not you defensively, per, no, not defensively. Yeah, if no. you look at it on a per play basis, you know they were down in the, in the score column. But they outgained the Aztecs 4.8, 3.8 in the first half on a per play basis. One third down all day for San Diego State as well. A 14 tries. 
Yeah, I think it was on. It was probably on that first one of those first few drives. It had to be, yeah, because yeah, they were over three, over three in the second quarter. The problem was, you know, it took a long time for the for the Boise State offense to come around. You know, they were only two of eight themselves. Yeah, they weren't very good on third downs. So, you know, it's it's you, you sort of look at it on, on those terms. And you think to yourself, okay, well, okay, how are they going to find their way out of this if, if the San Diego State defense was also playing at a very high level, which I think is worth keeping in mind. You know, they they didn't really create that many big plays, but they did, you know, bottle up whatever it was that Boise State was trying to do in the first half. And then they come out after halftime. You know, they, they put Green back in, and then suddenly something clicks. And I went back and I tried to watch a little bit of those scoring drives in the second half. And it, it was sort of hard to pin down. But was it just me or were they starting to put George Halani and Ashton Genty in the backfield with Green in the second half more often? Uh, probably, I'm trying to remember. Uh, it would make sense. Because I'm almost could... certain there was at least one or two plays where like where Green would line up in the shotgun and you have both, both oh, running yeah. backs flanking him. I remember a couple. And then they would basically... At... Sorry, and then they the would basically just run off of that. Like they, they didn't really throw the ball all that much in the second half. No. I'm trying to look at how many pass plays they had after halftime. They had they had four throws after halftime. Sounds about right. Like watching this game, like they were, they also give like offensive line. Like there are so many giant holes. Halani had, Green had, Gentry had. Like they're designed runs. They knew what they're doing. They had five rushing touchdowns in this game. And this yeah. gives, goes back to credit offensive line, a little bit unique, different play con. Because what were what are the aspects we look at? Because okay, new quarterback. Okay, Green played how much in the first game? Very little before Bachmeyer left. Okay, what are you gonna look at Dirk Cutter on a, one one fewer day? Like yeah, they played. I think the Boise played Friday versus uh, UTEP. Mm-hmm. Not okay, same amount. Of, I guess one day less for prep because Aztecs played Saturday. Okay, you can look at Falcons Falcons tape. You can look at old Boise tape from the nineties. You can look at uh, Tampa Bay Bucks tape with head coach. Like, what do you look at to know what they have? And so it's like, and how much will he change? But he's kind of on staff, but not really. And so it's almost an element of surprise a little bit what Aztecs had going to know what was happening in this matchup going into it, at least for not and scheme, not necessarily personnel, but scheme wise, a little personnel, excuse me, with quarterback. But there are so many big offensive holes on there, like Kalani on that left tackle, multiple runs, big time runs. Like Gentry played well. And I think all it was a dirt cutter. Just okay. Here's what we got. We're, we know we can't throw the ball extremely well. Green's not great. We had Vid- Vidalak who did. Excuse me, Vidalak did fine. But they went back to Green and saw something where Essex weren't stopping the run game. So let's put all the guy, all three guys who can run the ball well in the game at the same time, and it worked pretty well with the 300 plus yards, five touchdowns. Aztecs defense couldn't do anything to stop it, and that also goes again. The offensive line, which we harp on a million times. If it's simple, but if they're good, this running team is good for Halani and Gentry and anybody else. Gentry is going to run the ball because, and it's basic football, obviously. But these guys aren't good running enough running backs for if they get hit behind the line of scrimmage, it can make big plays. They need room to run, like any running back does. Some are better than others. Some can take contact, sidestep, pull some sort of juke move or something to get going if their offensive hole is there in the line and not blocking well enough. But the line finally performed quite well. Against one of the best defenses in the conference, and now the only the couple concerns are Boise. Can they throw the ball? What if they go up against a team that's a good brush defense? Can they move around that? Do they have uh, like said, fewer penalties and things? Just kind of overall of what they have because they had what a nine for sixty six on the game, not good. But there's a dirt cutter just played what worked, and he's a smart enough guy. Been around the NFL, around college football enough, like. Do we need to throw? Well, no, it's not working. So why throw us? Put all the best players on the field at once. See what we can do. Yeah, and you, and you know the other thing. I put the observation out there on social media, but that trio in the backfield together looked fast. Oh yeah, speed, like it, talent. Yeah, and which we hadn't really seen a lot of. Like you know, we'd seen George Halani break some like nice you know seven, eight, ten yard runs. We hadn't seen this all year long. Totally. And if that's the kind of thing that they can lean upon, it, it may not look like we expected the Boise State offense to look this year, but it's going to make them that much more dangerous as they get further into conference play. They're already 2-0. They're already atop the mountain division all by themselves for the moment. So, 
you know, it, they're, they're all of a sudden in a much better position than they were, you know, even a week or two ago. It would make sense to, cause I, I never, it's always like the draft thing too. It's like, well, why take any, just take the best freaking player out there and put him out there on your team and draft and get him on your, get him on your squad and play. We've, I said for a couple weeks, Genty might actually be the better running back at times, which he has been this year. But if Green's going to run it, Hawaiian's going to run it. It's not like they're running the option, but you put Talon out there. It's like, how are they going to line up? How are they going to defend it? Because Hawaiian also caught a couple passes out of the backfield. There's that option as well to where he got what two for 17. One was basically stuffed. Yeah. But I mean, the, the, the Broncos have put there, a right? They put a lot of faith in Holani all year long. And I think the fact that he was limited in those early games, I think that says less about him and more about the game plans that the Broncos were putting together. Yeah, because it made like, me I think, seem more I like think, you know, now that he's now them. that he's back to hundred percent, I think that you know the speed and the tools that he brought back in like 2019, 2020, they're intact. Yeah. They just weren't being tapped into as effectively as they could have been. Yeah, and the offensive line seems to be better. And Bachmeyer and that's part of having a guy who could take off and run or design runs. It wasn't a guaranteed would Bachmeyer pass or run. It, or excuse yeah. me, it, it was more, well, he's, you know, he's going to pass. He's not going to run. But now the defense has to scheme to have a guy or some linebacker or defensive end or even a safety. Okay, is the quarterback going to run? We have these other options. They have all these fast guys on the field. Let's put in my fast guys against your fast guys where you don't have enough fast guys to stop my fast guys on the team. And exactly. maybe, maybe Boise State will be a team that, Throws 14 and 22, but rushes for 300 yards. Like, not maybe not exactly, but something where they're not throwing the ball 40 times or 30 times. But they have a quarterback who can combine for, obviously, for 9, nine and 12, or excuse me, 5 and 10 is not great for 48 yards. But get him to, say he goes, what, mid like the 9 and 12, but 150, and then another 60 on the ground. Like, maybe 200 combined yards is what they need from whoever's a quarterback, and most likely green if he's throwing more. Also helps yeah. getting Noah back as well helps too in defense as well. You know what I mean? Those type of guys. Mm-hmm. Getting a couple of defenders back that help too. But so what's your optimistic level for Boise State? Where did you put them in the power bowl? Because we I saw you had yours out, but I don't have them in front of me. Where did you rank the Broncos? I believe I had them like fourth. Fourth. I need to look at my I know I kept Air Force and UNLV at my top two. Because people told me I had UNLV to high last week. I'm like, well, maybe. Yeah, I had the Broncos behind Air Force, UNLV, and San Jose State. I think I did as well. Let me see if I have mine here really quick. Uh, yeah, the same top. I had the same thing. Air Force, UNLV, San Jose State, Boise State. So, it and also I'm I'm still kind of cautiously optimistic. Where it was one game, a big game versus a big team in San Diego State, who's usually you know draws a quality opponent. But I'm still wondering if it's a one type situation where we got the hype, we got the momentum, we or maybe not momentum, but adrenaline to get going. To with new coaches, new quarterbacks. I wonder if they'll simmer off next week. But I think with the way they made adjustments and how the first and second up played out, I'm leaning more toward that's not the case. Because they have, we'll see, but Fresno State on Saturday night. Mm-hmm. So then we go to Boise State, or should be oh, Boise State or something. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Talk about New Mexico, UNLV. Uh, how nervous are you for the, our Rebel friends when they're losing 17 to 9 at halftime? It's pretty shocking. Well, it wasn't the first time they'd faced a deficit this year. I know, but New Mexico, I'm just saying. Sorry, it but it's also and it wasn't the And it wasn't the first time that they'd battled back from a deficit either. Like, it was sort of reminiscent of the Cal game in that respect. You know, the, the difference being that they were able to finish the job this time around. Yeah, it's it's good for because typically old rebel teams would just oh we're down game over we'll fold but that but then it came out strong outscored twenty two to three you had Brumfield have a pretty good pretty big game you had okay running game from um, Aiden Robbins they're back there but the way they fight back more than once is a testament to what they're doing with Marcus Arroyo and how good they could be where it's not the old teams like oh we're down we're gonna struggle because they didn't play well they're only four thirteen on third downs. They barely outgained um, 
New Mexico in the passing game, which is weird per play basis, I should say. They barely were better than them in running running the ball per play. Too many penalties, a couple turnovers. They, they did not play their a good, great game, and they still came out winning, which is something we would rarely say about the Rebels ever in the past decade. Yeah, well, and not only that, you know, they were playing, I believe, without Kyle Williams and without Jeff Weimer in this game. So I think one of the, one of the big takeaways for for me with regards to the Rebels in particular is we learned that you know the the depth that they'd been talking about throughout fall camp it's real legit because you know you mentioned you know Aiden Robbins you know Courtney Reese had a had a nice game you know a handful of carries couple of big you know couple of big carries but I think that to me the bigger story is like yeah Ricky White has you know relatively quiet six catches forty three yards. But the other guys that they really needed to step up and, and mesh with Brumfield in the passing game, you know, they, they got it. You know, Nick Williams had two catches, 32 yards. Calvin Souders had a couple big catches for first downs. Seneca McKee, five catches, 72 yards. So I think that more than anything is, is I think, really telling of, of how this team is different from, you know, the first couple of iterations under Marcus Arroyo. Like they've they've done the work, they've built the foundation, and that foundation is now strong enough, it seems like, to be able to withstand higher degrees of difficulty, to be able to get down against a New Mexico team that, you know, it. I mean, the Lobos fans are probably gonna be thinking about this one for a while. Oh yeah, like they they also had Ken. um, Excuse me, trying to (laughs) speak here. Miles Kendrick, I was gonna say Kendrick Miles. Like that's not right. And Miles Kendrick actually, I know he had two picks, which is unfortunate, but he actually threw the ball about 50% of the time. They had the lead despite him playing better, but still not great. The like Noah Jones running the or Nathaniel Jones running the ball okay, but the interceptions, oh, yikes. Cause they, I'm not saying they had this game, cause, but they're up. But when you're up 17 to 9, you got to figure out a way to hold the ball. But their third down was, they were not good decision making on third down, partly because you know these defense stepped up to make, stepped up to make plays. But the big, good thing about them, like Lobos, the positive, they came out and scored right away, forced some punts, they forced the fumble, scored off the turnover. They got a field goal. They're up 17 0 in this game. And like, you got to be like, you're up 17 0 against a team that might, or we're not quite sure about the Rebels. And they kind of faded away through their reception, led to, a, to, led to a field goal. They missed their own field goal, led to a touchdown. The, um, yeah, they had what, pick six as well? Yikes. Yeah, there's pick six that closed out the scoring, didn't it? Yeah, yeah, 31-20. So they were into it till the very end. Like, they were down 24-20 and drive. Not Okay, I don't say driving. They had the ball at their own 10-yard line. So, mm. But they were on the way to move the ball after forcing a punt. And they had a chance. Like, there's that play, that possession. There was a chance for them to go down and win the game. And it was unfortunate. Um, you had the well, – obviously, one of the better players in the conference, DB Cam Oliver, returned that pick 21 yards. So – that's kind of how it played out. Where Lobos were hanging around, they just uh, second half kind of flipped on what they're doing. Couldn't do all that much outside that late field goal, but give them credit. Like, okay, it's weird because forget the name. People are like, oh, it's just UNLV. It's just them. Forget them. If they're up seventeen zero against Air Force or San Diego State or even San Jose State, we'd be like, oh, this is amazing. Look how close to well they played so well. A couple things here or there, they got the win. It's great for them for confidence how close it is. I know they don't want to hear that. But UNLV is a good team. They're going to go bowling. They're 4-1. They're going to make a bowl game. They're 2-0 in the conference, leading the West Division, which looks like a complete mess. It looks like it's between them and San Jose State who can win it all, and they play next week. So this loss, like, while it's unfortunate <laughs> and the pick six sealed it for them, they need to tighten up a little bit. But that first half was quite well, winning 17, leading 17-0. They had their shots this game. It's just quarterback play is not quite there yet. Running game was not ideal, even though Kendrick did – redeem himself with those two rushing touchdowns and the defense I mean, I kind of say, was... I would say too that this was this was a game where like yeah New Mexico got off to a fast start and UNLV was able to claw into it claw their way back into you know the lead and, and the final result but this was also a game where both defenses played really well too in my opinion yeah, they played well for parts. Like, look at the which UNLV was which was something we talked about defense. going into the game. You know, we we talked about UNLV having not really been tested that much by strong defenses, 
and like I said, it's to their credit that they withstood this, you know, especially the, you know, the, the opening mistakes that they made, you know, Brumfield's only interception was that sort of, you know, strange, you know, forced fumble right to Jarek Reed um, for what, what I think was technically an interception, if I'm not mistaken, but, you know, they were able to overcome that, you know, they had, a, you know, they gave up a couple sacks, but they had at least one themselves, a couple themselves, I think. And they were able to generate enough turnovers. And so they basically, they, you know, both defenses sort of enabled the offenses to counterpunch at different junctures in the game where you were UNLV was mistake prone early. New Mexico more or less capitalized on most of those big errors. And then as the game bled on, it sort of the, the, the roles reversed where New Mexico made it, it wasn't like it was an underwhelming offensive performance. They just made enough mistakes that UNLV was able to take advantage of to to, to escape in this one. Yeah, we'll see how it goes if what New Mexico can do because they're still sitting at two and three, and you know we like what what they're doing defensively with Danny Gonzalez there, but they go to Wyoming or they host Wyoming next week, which interesting game potentially. They could beat New Mexico State. We saw it Fresno State did last week. Utah State Utah State's not scaring anybody. They go to CSU. Those tough games are on the road. So see how they could do road games, but there's an I'm I could look at FPI real quick, but there's a chance to be made this team might get to six wins, maybe. Because New Mexico State potentially, CSU, yeah, that's two right there. I'd put Wyoming, Utah State, like eh, um maybe. There's a small chance they could get there. I'm not gonna lean or bet on it, but the way they played in the first half, they could do a full game on that. There's an opportunity for them to get at least two to three more wins, minimum, I think. I mean, it may not sound like much, the fact that, that New Mexico only averaged, what, 4.8 yards per play, 4.9. Mm-hmm. But against an FBS opponent, that was their best game of the year on a per-play basis. So if, like I said, if they, they had a little more explosiveness than we'd seen in the last couple of weeks. You know, Jordan Porter, who we didn't even mention to this point, had a big game, six yeah. catches, 117 yards. Getting a touch, and Well, no, he didn't have a touchdown. But he set up a couple, you know, potentially you know big drives. It, he and that dude is fast. Like we, you know, we you see you saw guys flashing speed left and right all throughout the weekend, and I think he's definitely among that number. You know, and and Kendrick and Nate Jones had a couple of nice long chunk plays on the ground as well. So if they can hold on to those games, then you know I'll may, I, I'll just reiterate what I've sort of maintained all, all along. New Mexico is not going to be a lot of fun for many T teams to play. In conference play, the Lobos right now—they're the low—they're the first team. Well, let me say it, they're four to go, go to a bowl game. Six wins. FPI gives them a forty-three point two percent chance to do that. That's not bad. So that's kind of where I'm leaning, and actually give them a just under a point two percent to win out the rest of the games. There but you go. Think of this way: San Diego State fifty-two percent chance to go to six wins. Do you want to guess Utah State's number? What their percentage is to get to six wins? They had a base I'm assuming it's probably like around one third. Eight point three percent. Eight point four percent. Oof. Yeah, they're one and four. Remember, they got to win five of their next. That's what, true. They got some work to do. So yeah, and they still haven't played uh, Boise State yet. They still haven't played uh, New Mexico yet. So, just saying, yeah, there's a that's a long way to go. All right, should we get to Saturday games? Let's do it. Air Force Navy. Matt sure spent the book. Didn't even the total points by the winning team didn't get to fourteen. Matt thirteen yeah. to ten Air Force over Navy. You were. Uh... I saw a lot of talk after the game about how how unders in in games between the service academies almost always hit. You didn't listen did to split zone duo. I listened to split zone duo. They talked about length. Did you not pay attention to those guys? I didn't get a chance to listen to it this week, so that's on me. There's a problem. But if you listen to that, you'd be like, okay. I, here's the thing, though. I took the over because I thought Air Force could put up at least 25 of their own points. <laughs> but I thought it would be the 14 points I thought was a lot, which it, clearly it was. I thought it might be like, I think our score was like at least 40 points overall, but Air Force gained about 20 to 25 of those. But this game, it, it's the read what they said, Splits and do about it, which makes a lot of sense. Besides them always preparing for these teams throughout the year, they take a cer- certain times during fall camp, during spring camp, they academies look at each other but also mm-hmm. this is not unfamiliar for them when the normal defense or the scout whatever defense when they're when they're practicing always faces a similar offense what they're going up against versus army and navy 
So it's nothing out of the ordinary that they're seeing when, whether it's a scout team or the main team, whatever defensive play to begin, scout team starters, whatever, they're always seeing some iteration of the option run option offense when they're practicing throughout the week. Yeah. And so there's that. And are you, I'm very surprised. Navy threw 20 times. If they throw 20 times, they're not winning the game. And that was the case. But yeah, as, well, you, yeah. as you point yeah. out, red I mean, zone was honestly, an issue for us too. Honestly, I feel like Ty Lavatai, the Navy quarterback, was lucky to get there because I watched every single play <laughs> of this game. There were a couple there were a couple of times that he just threw it up hoping that something good would happen. And then, you know, like and then and then it would. I think there was like one one play to Mark Walker in particular for like twenty something yards yeah. that, that sort of stood out in that regard. Or but you know, this was ultimately a defensive fist fight that Air Force was sort of lucky to escape with their with their commander in chief's hopes intact because neither side really was able to assert itself. You look, you know, rather than looking at yards per play, which you know Air Force you know outdid Navy by nearly two full yards of play, six point five to four point three. I feel like that's a little deceptive. Because when you look at yards per carry, yards per rush, sack adjusted it's a lot closer. Air Force only averaged, and I say only, 4.5 yards per carry. And it's to their credit that the defense held the midshipmen to only 3.4. So like when when I start looking at this game, I realized that neither side reached a rushing success rate of 50, uh, 50%. You know, they were both below average. It was just that Air Force was a little bit better down the stretch when it counted because you know, they had the, the couple of scoring drives early on where it was basically like the David Cormier show, especially on that first drive. Because he had what? The, I think he had like a 67-yard touchdown yeah, catch, right? Three for 120 in the score. Yeah, and then he had a couple more catches You know, in the first half. He ended up with three for 120 career highs all the way around. Mm-hmm. And then that was it for a really long time in this game because – you know, where, where Navy really sort of buckled down, you know, Air Force also got mistake prone again. And it was, and in that way, it was sort of reminiscent of that same kind of mid game lull that they had against Colorado, especially where, you know, in, in two second quarter drive, or excuse me, in three second quarter drives, they fumbled the ball twice. Yeah. And went three and out on the, on the drive in between. So they were really careless with the football in ways that we've seen them be once or twice so far this year. You know, they lost two. They were lucky not to lose the third one, too. They're downplaying this issue. But yeah, you mentioned that it could be come back to bite them and they play better teams that could actually score points and move the ball. Yeah. So, you know, they, they were able to get it done through the air early, you know, with, with Daniels and Cormier. And then, you know, Brad Roberts was able to sort of pick it up and get things done late. But I think it's worth keeping in mind, like uh, until the fourth quarter, he was more or less bottled up though. It wasn't yeah, really until the last couple of drives that they were able, that they really fed him the ball, first of all, and that he really broke loose. I think in, in the fourth quarter, he had, you know, nine carries of nine, nine, six, you know, he had one that was 24 that basically sealed the game down the stretch it was not anywhere close to an A plus performance oh, from this team. Not even. But I think closely. it is. It's. But I think they did just enough on offense to ultimately pull it out, and they got a sterling defensive performance too. That's the other thing where you know you look at it and you realize, yeah, they had one sack and twenty something maybe dropbacks, but they also had nine TFLs as a team, so they got it done in the front seven. Oh yeah, they they got they got yeah because when you look at overall what Navy did rushing, they only had 114 yards total, and the longest play was only 18. There was no yeah. big plays, and every time they because they stopped them behind the line earlier, they t- obviously tackled them behind the line of scrimmage. Court, leading rusher was just a QB at 34 yards. There was no big explosive plays. Technically, two if you want to count the 12 and 18 yarder that Haywood and Terrell had. Besides that, they weren't getting they're were getting a couple yards of play. 36 for 114. They, yeah, I mean, I think it's sort of interesting. Well. They have this, they have this run stuff percentage, and I think it's telling that you know Navy was had you know basically twice as many on a percentage basis, twice as many run stuffed as Air Force did in this game, twenty eight percent to fifteen percent. If you're looking for for a difference in this game, it was Air Force, you know, basically doing that, creating that much havoc, and keeping Navy from from 
I guess take doing more to take advantage of the sloppiness the offense had, especially in the middle of the game. Yeah. So do you have concerns going forward for them or what? Or is it just maybe academy rival, they familiar with the scheme? Fumbles are concerned for me. That's the biggest thing. And I guess I think a familiarity thing is a problem in this game only, maybe versus Army as well. But I think overall you like to see it do better. Defensively, they played fine, like 10 points. That's what you want. Offense, that's a more concern for me. But it's also the same thing. Navy, they practice against the scheme all the time. So I'm, I think I'm a little concerned, if only because through five games, they have more fumbles than anybody else in the conference. They're tied with San Diego State with 10 fumbles in, in 10 games. Ten it's lost. very uncharacteristic. You know, last year, by, by comparison, they had 18 in in 13 games. So they're already more than halfway to what they had last year. I think if you're looking for silver lining there, it's that they've benefited from a little bit of, of bad fumble luck to this point, because according to CFP stats, it says they've lost, they've lost seven of 10. Mm-hmm. And that's the kind of thing that isn't likely to, to sort of stay that way throughout the rest of the year. It's, you know, fumble luck is impossible to, to determine once the ball's on the turf, but yeah, it is something that's worth keeping an eye on because, you know, when they're firing on all cylinders, Air Force is still the team to beat in the conference. But, you know, this is now once or twice that we've seen them be limited and be careless. And it just sort of serves as a reminder. And I think you would just talked about it in a different sense with UNLV. Even the teams at the top of the conference aren't infallible. Anybody can be beaten. Yeah, there's nobody that seems to be above the head and shoulders of anybody in either division or anything. So, yeah. They are currently, who would you guess would have a better chance of winning the division or winning the conference right now, according to FPI? Between whom? Just Air Force's, sorry, Air Force's percentage. Like, where do you think they're to win the conference? It's yeah. probably somewhere around like 30%. 20%, but they're also behind Boise State, which is somehow getting love at 39%. It could be that it's because Air Force already has a loss in conference and Boise's is not. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, that explains a bit more with that with the metrics without looking at what they've done. But would you would you put Air Force? I have them number one, so do you? So I'm assuming we both have them as a favorite to keep winning and take care of business if they play. I, mean, I don't know if I necessarily equate power rankings with like my favorite. Ooh, but they were favorite? my preseason pick to win the division, and I'm more than willing to stick with it. Okay, you're trying to trick me. Though. I see what you're doing. It's all good. You're right. It's a week-to-week thing in power rankings period to end of the season. All right. Um, are we done stalling and going to the next game here? Yes. Unfortunately, we have to talk about UConn 19, Fresno State 14. What happened? I didn't see enough of this game. I saw a little bit, and I was just shocked. and like, holy crap. Because am I correct on this? Is this the first win? And you're going to hate me if I'm correct on this. FBS victory versus a non-UMass team in like six years, five years. I believe they've mentioned it was since 2017. That's not good. Sorry. <laughs> so did uh, did Logan Five succumb to the the uh, adrenaline game last week to play pretty well to actually practicing not being a great quarterback? Is that part of this game a little bit? Do you think what happened? Where he came out, had to go in and play, did his best, and then once he's actually preparing, he may not actually be that great of a guy at this point in his career? Well, I mean, there's there's a difference between playing in garbage time where defenses are playing back and yeah. then playing live snaps where everything matters. Exactly. I think the big the big one big problem in this game is that Fresno State basically was not able to stretch the field all that much. And and especially when it counted most, you know, they had, you know, four, technically four big chunk plays through the air that totaled 98 yards, but a lot of that came on catch and run. From guys like you know Jalen Moreno Cropper with five catches, seventy six yards. You know Trey Watson had you know four catches, thirty nine yards, but he had twenty nine yards after the catch as well. So like they were sort of limited in that regard, where like where where Jake Hayner would be able to push the ball down the field every so often. Like Ives just did not have that going for him. And while he was mostly accurate, you know sixteen of twenty two, hundred fifty seven yards the other big difference in this game was like he made killer mistakes that I do not think Hayner would have made. Probably. Definitely. 
And the, and, and, and it could, I mean, it sounds bad to lose to UConn. It could have been worse because Fresno State turned the ball over three times. You know, they had two fumbles, only lost one of them. But I, if memory serves, I think UConn was only able to get two field goals out of all those turnovers. It's not good. Well, it was just, a- it was a, it was a, just a messy game all the way around. I mean, there was the turnovers, there was the turnover on downs. You know, they had, they rolled dice with like, what was it like two minutes left in the second quarter, fourth and one at midfield, and they could not get one yard against this UConn defense. One yard. I was thinking this game kind of tuning in and out, kind of what I was was able to watch monitor and catch up later on. I felt when UConn had the punt and I turned away from him, like I, I missed the last little bit of the game, like the last few minutes. So I went back and figured, looked into it. Mm-hmm. But I was watching it live, like stat watching, having this game tracker up and stuff. I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah. They punted the ball when UConn punted the ball. When in the late in the game, when it was at their fourth and twelve at their own twenty nine, and Fresno State gets the ball, booming punt because it went wait. Got Fresno couldn't get it until the twenty one yard line, so it was mm-hmm. a huge punt. I still felt okay. They're down two points. They have the ball. They'll be fine. They were not fine, Matt. <laughs> no. I, I felt like, okay, I figured defense makes – I kind of figured that point, okay, the better team's finally going to get this because they ex- exchange punts for a handful of drives. I'm like, okay, back and forth, back and forth. But we look closely. When you go back after the touchdown, UConn scored a backtrack a minute. Minus yards on the play. Or overall, three plays minus three yards. Next possession, three plays, seven yards. Mm-hmm. Even though I felt weird about it. And then, oh man, here, sorry, not same drive. Sorry, it goes to the fourth quarter. I kind of figured, okay, they'll figure something out. The final drive, they're close game, bingo, 80 plus yards, whatever it may be. I just, I, when I came back, I'm like, what, 19 to 14? What happened here? Because I kind of tuned away after, like, on that, when I got that first down, I'm like, okay, I got, I had things to do. So I wasn't watching closely, came back to it. I just felt that drive, they'll get it done. They're the better team. They'll figure out the last possession of the game, one of the last drives of the game, but end up punting on a fourth of 13 after they had the, uh, what they have, the, they have a penalty on that drive. No, the loss, sorry, the sack, sorry, the big sack by Johnny Stafford mm-hmm. there. When they're at midfield, that kind of, okay, third and 17, you got a quarterback who can't throw very well, you get four yards, like, well, that's it. Game over. UConn goes down, scores on a, a back breaking 11 play, 94 yard, or not 94 yard drive, but uh, it tells me 94 yards, but that's a penalty. Start throwing, starting deep in their territory, and then they score a touchdown. It's like UConn finally put together a long and lengthy drive for a touchdown to get the win. And yeah, this, what, so like, What's the deal here? Is this just like I said, new quarterback? Like nobody played well. You can't just put it all in one person in this game. Like interceptions, you had running backs played poorly. They got what they did get six TFLs, not amazing. Only one sack. Like what? What? How, what did UConn do defensively to stop this offense that we thought was really good? Well, I don't think I don't think the pressure State offensive line played very well either. Okay, that's been a concern we mentioned throughout the year. Yeah, and, and and I think that played out more, especially with uh, with regards to, you know, Jordan Mims on the ground being held to only 39 yards on 15 carries. You know, he didn't have that same kind of explosiveness that we'd seen at least a little bit in, in every week to this point. That is a problem when you just, like, yeah, they just did not, they weren't able to push the ball down the field. They didn't open any running lanes. And... You know, even if the defense struggled here and there to get off the field, you know, I, I do find it somewhat alarming that UConn was also eight of seventeen on third downs, and then also converted both fourth downs that they that they tried in this game. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't like the Huskies' offense was lighting the world on fire either. Like you know, Braylon Lux had a really good game. You know, eight tackles, two TFLs, one sack. You know, David Perales had a pretty good game, but he got you know, popped for an unsportsmanlike conduct that came back to bite him. They had two forced fumbles. And then, you know, they, and, and Zion Turner, like he didn't, you know, the UConn quarterback didn't necessarily have a great game either. He was only eight of 15 for 130 yards in the one touchdown. So I really don't, I, I don't know that there's one thing you can point to. I mean, if you want to call it an offensive no-show, considering the offense scored zero touchdowns, then, or rather, they you know they had the one yard touchdown from Jordan Mims, and that was about it. But 
man, I don't know. Okay, what's your? It does not make me feel good about their chances to bounce back conference play. Let's put it that way. Because Jordan Hayes, I mean, not Jordan. Jake Kanner's out for at least what two more games, probably more. Probably. Because look at their probably. schedule. Because if you're time... looking at a timetable of four to six weeks, he's going to miss this coming week and the following weekend at a minimum. And those are two big games: Boise State, San Jose State. They better figure out something fast. Yeah, you kind of the hope was for me, like okay. USC game lost, obviously, just because the way it played out. Hater gets hurt. Okay, UConn would have been – my thought would have been UConn would have been the game for – I don't want to say a tune-up, warm-up game. That's kind of disrespectful to the Huskies, but they're not a very good football team, or at least we thought they weren't. But now we look back, okay, Utah State was close. They beat Fresno. They had Michigan and somebody else I forget on the schedule. But if you're this would be a game where he, they could get some meaningful reps, they should win. And he would be able to figure things out in this game for a live competition that's not your own team and FBS program. He got all that, but he played poorly. Now we go to Boise State, who looked pretty good on running the ball. We know what they got with J.L. Skinner and Ezekiel Noah and other guys on defense. Next two weeks are going to be telling, and they don't have a bye week until – do they even have a bye week? They already had their bye week, right? Uh, yeah, they had it before. Yeah. <laughs> they had two weeks to prepare for this game. Ah, they, well, that's even worse. I didn't realize that. Oh, my goodness. Two weeks. That's right. They didn't play last week. Matt. It's going to be put up or shut up time on the blue next next week. That's all I got to say. Did you see the stat? Tedford's 0-7 versus last seven FBS opponents? I did see that. That means he ended his Fresno State uh, tenure last time on a four-game losing streak. Yes, he did. Oh, man. Bulldogs are in trouble, I think, a little bit. They're on the ropes. All right, final game of the weekend. San Jose State, Wyoming. Who would have thought this would be a game that we all want to see? And who would have thought Spartans are a team with a guy named Shavon Cordero running the ball, running the offense, passing the ball, doing doing good things for the Spartans team when they get to victory, and they are now a team that's probably – they're the West Division favorites now, right? Would you still put that in that category for the Spartans at this time? Well, I mean, they're probably in that same conversation with UNLV. Oh, oh, geez, how about free Rebels? I apologize to my, our Rebel fans out there. San Jose State wins 33-16, 3-1. Freaking Auburn. How can they not beat crappy old Auburn? Jeez, these should be 4-0. But they played well, I mean, who, as we know, defensive team. They've kind of – this Wyoming team, like, they've been playing well. Okay, they beat Air Force. They played BYU close. Andrew Peasley's throwing the ball well, and now they're at this point. Peasley goes 6 of 20, two touchdowns, interception, does run for 74 yards, but most of it came on 161-yarder. Game was not close at halftime. It was 19 to 10, including we got a good old safety in the first quarter as well, which doesn't happen too often. That's true. So what was your thought throughout this game? Because I thought Wyoming – I'm surprised that Wyoming – the way they've been playing – this basically is like an Illinois game part two, essentially. Tyson Swen did okay. No big running plays. Peasley was garbage throwing the ball. Yeah, he had two touchdown passes, but who cares? He what, got sacked, what, two times, right? This, uh, this, yes. This is, this is what I mean, falling back to what they were early in the year. And that's where I see it. And I see San Jose State. Cordero is finally completing over well over 50% of his passes. Uh, Elijah Cooks, who might be the best best wide receiver in the conference, up there. And then also, as we mentioned a million times, get the running game going. They're really good. And Kai Robinson had a above-average game with 100 yards and touchdown. No huge, big, big running plays, but he was consistent throughout the whole game. And the second quarter basically sealed the game. Like I said, sealed the victory for them. Dominant defensive performance by the Spartans. Oh, yeah, definitely. That was my big takeaway. Of course. Which it, it, doesn't, is bad, I mean, right? it, it doesn't always seem like it on the stat sheet because, you know, they two two sacks, four TFLs, but they put a lot of pressure on Peasley all night long. You know, Billy Amahoko, in addition to having a TFL, uh, one and a half TFLs in a sack, also had two quarterback hurries. Same, so did Kate Hall. You know, so did Kyle Harmon had one. You know, Trey Jenkins had one even from the you know, from the safety position. So, like, their their stars showed up big time on the yeah. defensive side of the ball. This is a team that's... Oh, go ahead. 
Oh, no, I was just going to say, like, even though they didn't necessarily, like, create a lot of, like, huge turnover type plays, you know, they they maximized, you know, the, the basically they frustrated the Wyoming offense in a way that we hadn't seen them be frustrated since that week zero game that you mentioned. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you, you saw that they had bottled up Titus Swen, you know, 17 carries, 61 yards. You know, you look at the chunk plays that they had on the ground and you notice that Peasley had all three of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he did have a couple, he had that big 61 yard run in the third quarter that looked like it might, you know, propel them back into the game. Um, but I mean, other than that, you know, the the ground game was more or less shut down. But I think that has more uh, more to do with what the Spartans did up front, and and maybe a little bit to do with you know Wyoming getting banged up in in on their offensive line too. I know Emmanuel Pregnon got knocked out of the game at some point, um, and this would probably be a good juncture too to mention Noah Wright, who had the safety had a, you know that scary injury in the middle of the game as well. So hopefully he's back to 100%. And yeah, it was, yeah, like I said, it's just the Spartans came to play in in the way that I thought they, in the way that I thought that they would, to be honest. Yeah, they've been, this, like I say, this is like what we, what we saw in 2020. It's almost where the people thought, oh, that year doesn't matter, doesn't count, weirdness. But they went through an undefeated, beat people big. Last year they had, again, We'll repeat a million times with was uh shoot um Nick Nick Starkle sorry not Nick Nash Nick mm-hmm. Starkle being hurt and the defense with guys like Fahoko Harmon uh, certain guys not playing all that well they seemed to turn around and played with consistent quarterback play which saying that with Cordero is not a hundred percent for certain for what he did at Hawaii under Rolovich and Todd Graham consistent quarter the only thing we were concerned about part with the season we saw defense stepping up. And it's always been the past couple of seasons. We talk about the running game where they could not get it done, but they've yeah, seen and it be- always seems to be like, you know, on offense, a new guy stepping up every week and, and, and sort of, and it's definitely like a, a the, the sort of democratic passing game that I thought that it might be coming into the year. You know, I, I sort of made the joke on, on Twitter or rather in my, in my winners and losers column about how Cordero must like playing at War Memorial stadium in particular. Because he torched he torched the same <laughs> Cowboys defense last November too, but you know you mentioned Elijah Cooks having a big game. You know Justin Lockhart had a couple had had at least one big catch again. Charles Ross had a quality game too, six catches on eight targets, sixty six yards. Jermaine Braddock had a you know nice chunk play. Then they you know they got the tight ends involved with you know Skylar Loving Black catching a touchdown. So it's. The, the, I think we talked about it most explicitly with UNLV last week about a team that has found multiple ways to win. And I think we're starting to see that more from the Spartans as well, where it's a, it's a team that's really starting to come into itself and play its best ball at, at, at a really good time. You know, they, they've got their first conference win under their belt. And, you know, while they're still looking up at the Rebels, you know, in the, in the win column, at least, you know, the, the Rebels are 2-0, of course. San Jose is only 1-0 to this point. Mm-hmm. You know, it's all right there in front of them to, to seriously challenge again for the conference title. Oh, they're totally in there. Like you said, West Division looks next week. Isn't it San Jose State UNLV on Friday night, I believe? Uh, you know what? I don't have that schedule in front of me. I'm trying to grab it real quick. But it's them and the Rebels. As I You're correct. Of, Friday night, San Jose State. 8.30 p.m. Mountain Time, 7.30 Pacific out there. To, uh, Seth, was Seth Koo, is that what they call it? The Credit yes. Union Stadium? That, who would have thought that back-to-back games would be pretty big for the Spartans and Rebels? So It's going to be must-watch television. Like, you know, both of those teams are playing at a very high level right now. Let me ask you a quick question. Because this wraps up our recaps. We're in a million games this week. Would you say San Jose, San Jose State is probably the most between the, it's probably between them and UNLV as being the two most complete teams overall, or would you think Air Force maybe in that similar category? Despite their throwing option, offense is not like obviously they don't throw a ton. I mean, they they don't look the same on their face, but I, I think you have to just you have to put UNLV, San Jose State, and Air Force sort of in that same tier. Mm-hmm. I think you know, the, the difference with San Jose State is that from that week one game against Portland State through Auburn, you know, through, you know, last week's game into this one, 
is I think they've definitely seen what you might call a sort of like a more linear improvement where they've just gotten better overall on both sides of the ball from week to week where, you know, they had to survive against an FCS team and then claw their way to a close loss against a power five team like Auburn. And then, you know, we've seen them, you know, take a step forward and have really convincing wins against two, I guess if we want to be, maybe not too tough, hopefully, but mm-hmm. like two limited offenses in Western Michigan and Wyoming. Yeah. You know, you compare that with what UNLV has done to this point, which is, you know, other than the sort of close, tough loss at Cal, you know, they've mostly gotten it done with a with a, a much improved offense, but they've proven, especially over the last couple of weeks, weeks that they can prove with, they can win with defense too. And then in terms of like Air Force, I think, you know, of these three teams, we have seen them play at the highest peak, but we've also seen them sputter here and there. So it, it's, like I said, it's, you know, you, you're, you look forward to, to next week and you, you see, you know, UNLV San Jose State, you know, Air Force going to Logan at at Utah State, not necessarily a given. Um. You know, same thing with Wyoming going to New Mexico, uh, you know, next week, Fresno State, Boise. Like, there's just like, it's funny to say there's, there's intrigue all the way around. And like, I had this, this October 8th weekend circled on my calendar when we talked about it in the off season. Mm-hmm. But, but now that it's almost here, now that Different we're a few days right? away from talking about it, bro, the, the narratives are not what we expected it to be. And that makes it almost like, you know, every game next weekend is going to be appointment watching. And honestly, I can't wait to talk about it later next week. Yeah, just to, we'll, we'll wrap up here. But really quick, you got, are you including CSU Nevada just because how bad they are? That's, <laughs> that, the, that's the Norvell Bowl, though. That is true. Norvell Bowl. We're interested in that. Norvell's yeah. return to Reno. You got the two best teams in the West right now. Mm-hmm. You got a rematch of one of last year's um, biggest offensive shootouts in Air Force, Bonkers. Utah State potential defensive fist fight in Albuquerque. I don't even know what you're going to get from Fresno State, Boise State on the blue. And then Hawaii, well, San Diego State. Who's going to play quarterback? <laughs> Does the Aztecs have open tryouts this week? Because they're down to like their fifth quarterback. Injuries, uh, transfers. like Also also opened as an 18-point favorite. 20 now, <laughs> FYI. Really? That is way... Would you take Hawaii? You know well, let's, let's not let's not get too much into this right now. Let's I wait know. and see what the line looks like when we talk about it in midweek. I'll tell I you this: that's, that's a lot. That's a lot, right? That's all we're going to say. That's a lot. Seems like uh, probably oh, that's a lot. All right, so we'll wrap it up here. MWR.com. We'll have plenty of stuff. Obviously, this week we have stuff about Coach Arroyo, one of our guys, put up possibly, uh, rightfully so, current leader in the clubhouse for Coach of the Year at the moment. Well, absolutely. Second, what uh, the out, he's the far leader. I'd put in Brent Brennan and uh, also uh, probably Brent Brennan, number two in the mix right there. Those I think you put Troy Calhoun in there. Yeah. We'll see. Yeah. I would at least. Potentially distant behind Coach Arroyo. Mm-hmm. So we'll see how it goes. But yeah, we'll wrap it up. We wrap this up here. MWR.com. Check us out this week. Most likely a Wednesday podcast with the Friday night games. Also, real quick, dueling games, Matt. They both kick at the same time. FS1 and CBS Sports Network. So pick your game, or if you got the dual screen or quad screen on whatever app you choose to watch, definitely go that route too if that's a possibility for you. So, yeah, check us out, MWC Wire, all the Matt's winners and losers column, other um, stuff we have up, talking about San Diego State firing Hilensky, what the quarterback situation is, a lot of stuff going on. So we'll be back next time. And uh, just if you listen, listen to the end, if you're not subscribed, just hit the button once, right? Right, Matt, on Spotify. That's Apple. all it takes. Come on, just just help us out. Just hit you the button. You know you want to. Yes, just do it so you don't have to find this show every week because there's times, Matt, I may be busy and only post it on the feed and not the website and you may miss it. Just saying. So just subscribe so you never miss it. So there you go. And we'll be back in a couple of days to uh, talk a unique uh, week six of Mountain West football.